0: Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built And We are a podcast of Burn Origination, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorigination.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out there. Share this wherever you found it, whether it's uh, the Google Podcast Store, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us, so share it with your friends Anybody that you know is into Texas Longhorn News and Sports. Uh, Before we start, I'd love to remind you that our podcast host, Podiant, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium membership and 25% off your first three months of that premium membership. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code Longhorn. So, go to Podiant. That's p o d i a n t. dot c o. Sign up using the offer code Longhorn, and you get twenty five percent off an already affordable membership. They handle all of the technical side of podcasting. All you got to do is record, edit, upload it to their site, and they push it out to all the different podcast servers. It's so so convenient. Again, all you got to do is go to Podiant. That's p o d. I a N T dot C O sign up using the offer code longhorn to get 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. Again, a quick update on our schedule this week. We'll have a regular show for you. We may have a little bonus recording at some point, or we'll just tack it on to next week. We're still trying to line up our Georgia preview. And then next week, We're going to do a shorter show, a preview of National Signing Day. We're going to have one of our recruiting experts from Burnt Orange Nation on to preview it, and then we'll actually bring you a National Signing Day recap on Thursday following up because National Signing Day is Wednesday, and we'll have the other one of our BON recruiting experts that doesn't come on on Tuesday to do that show. So we'll bring that to you. Breaking down what you need to know, who's there, who's still out there. We are not going to record on Christmas Eve, so that Tuesday, Christmas Day, You won't have a present from us, but later on that week, you will get an episode from us to take you on your sweet merry way down to the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. You can listen to Kyle and I in your ears on the plane or on the roads. You don't have to listen to your kids fight in the backseat or whatever your situation is. After all that, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I am your host this week like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who spends all of his time looking up Lewd tweets from OU players. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. Uh, fighting the uh, the change of weather blues plus the uh, can't uh, can't breathe. So I'm preemptively apologizing if at any point uh, you hear a sniffle or a cough or anything like that coming through. But you know the podcast must prevail. Uh, you have a couple of uh, tough hosts here who who play through injury. You know we're uh, we're here putting on for the squad. So to to our fans, uh, we're here for you.
0: Kyle is a, a consummate professional, always, always professionalism from Kyle Carpenter. No, uh, so not much football to talk about today. We usually lead off of that during the fall, but we're going to give it a break. We've got a little bit toward the end of the, the show, uh, but we're going to start off with volleyball, big season ending series. Unfortunately, we'll talk about them making the Elite Eight. We'll give you some updates on men and women's basketball. We will update you. we got a little bit to talk about in football, the AP all big 12 team was released and we'll also take a quick look at guys that are lined up to red shirt for this year uh, that will not be playing in the bowl game and then we'll be playing in the bowl we put it out there on twitter we'll do some replies of texas looking at the all mac brown team and then obviously we'll close the show out with some bang the drum so kyle we we are a volleyball podcast we say it every week we are a volleyball podcast number five Texas volleyball. We talked about it last week. They took on Michigan and dropped them three to one. But they ran into the buzz saw that is Brigham Young University, one of if not the uh, favorite. They're probably right behind Stanford as favorites to win. Uh, but Texas lost in straight sets to BYU in the Elite Eight. They reached, I believe, it was their thirteenth uh, straight Sweet Sixteen and their sixth straight, if I recall correctly, Elite eight, which is just absolutely impressive. Um, So the final four for women's volleyball will be number four, BYU, number one, Stanford, number three, Illinois, and number seven, Nebraska. Kyle, this has become probably the most prolific program on the campus right behind swimming and diving, I would say. Uh, Swimming and diving, number one, volleyball. It's hard to compete with Olympians, (laughs) but I would call them a somewhat close second as far as what they do uh, on the national scene each and every year. So looking back at a successful season, Kyle, what stands out to you about how it ended and what can they carry forward in next year?
1: Well, I think uh, I think the first thing is is uh, Maia White is unbelievable. She's a, she's an all timer who goes down with the Destiny Hookers and, and the kind of pantheon of of Longhorn greats. Um, and and she obviously was an All American and, and um, was fantastic every game. But you know we have some freshmen Eggleston and some other people who are just incredible um, and kind of will continue uh, next year. I think with a pretty strong squad, they're losing just a couple seniors not too many two maybe three um so it's it's not the the most experienced squad they've ever had which is somewhat you know good um i I will say this congratulations to the four teams in the final four um there is a direct texas connection to another one of the teams there Uh, my favorite probably volleyball player of all time a girl lexi sun uh transferred to nebraska they uh i wouldn't say snuck you know they're number seven they're still in that realm um but made their way in the, as the highest um seed in the uh in the final four so um you know more lexi Suns equals more wins apparently if texas could have held on to her who knows who knows what happens um you know into both mobamba and myself are sad about that but uh you know it's uh they lost to, to byu um like, like you said byu and stanford their losses this year i mean they 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 lost to BYU, Stanford, number six, Wisconsin, and somehow Kansas, which is weird. Um, but, you know, they, they had wins over Oregon, who was an elite eight team, Florida, Kentucky, Michigan, who were Sweet 16 teams. Um, they played really well. And, like you said, 13 years consecutive to the Sweet 16. There's nothing even remotely like that um, in the country. I don't know what the next closest is, but it's, it's, it's like not double digits. So, um, you know, they they, they are the, the perennial power, but it has been a few years now since they've capitalized that into a national championship. So maybe next year uh, is a good coalescence of the returning players and some of the talent they have in the pipeline. Um, but, you know, it's it's tough. The BYU fans are ruthless and brutal. Um, I heard people describe it as, like, you know, at UT, we shout Point, Texas, and, and kind of cheer the team on at BYU. They, like, heckle you the way, you know, you think, like... Uh, I have buddies who went to Omaha during the College World Series and would look up, you know, stats and names of family members of of the opposing outfielders. That's kind of how BYU does for the volleyball, apparently. Uh, So we had to go to their their home turf up in the mountains and just be heckled relentlessly by the angry, angry, um, passionate Mormons uh, up there. But, uh, yeah, you know... um, hats off to them you know we'll see I, I BYU Stanford um, rematch for the national championship could very well be in the card so um, Texas lost to both of them so, so could have uh, lost to the eventual national champion uh, but either way great season from the ladies hate to hate to go out when they did but uh, you know you can't take away from a uh, what was it I think a three 25 and five uh, record in the season is, is pretty good with only marginal room for improvement
0: yeah, and, and the core of this team is is I don't want to say fairly young, but coming back next mm-hmm. year. I mean, Makayla White coming back. Um, you've got Logan Eggleston coming back next year. Uh, Brianni Butler coming back next year. You've got Ashley Shook coming back next year. So like most of mm-hmm. the key players, as far as um offense. They're coming back. Their setter and their top, I believe it's three out of their top four um, in kills are coming back next year. So that's yeah. like this team has so much to build on. Um, and I honestly, two of their top four in kills are freshmen, which is just absolutely ridiculous. So there is a, a lot of upside left for this team. Now, the Big 12 Uh, is a weird like murderers row kind of where it's kind of like football really where every team is good enough to beat you if you don't bring your best to the to the table every day Um, but I don't imagine them being out of the top five to start next year and i don't imagine them uh being out of the top five at any point next year unless jared elliott has the worst season he's ever had um <laughs> at the university of texas but no this it's an incredible squad and i'm excited to see uh the future for for these ladies it's really going to be uh something to behold
1: for sure and, I, and like i said it doesn't change the fact that gregory gymnasium is still heckling or not the best uh, place to play um, really any sport, but volleyball in the country. Um, So, you know, we still have that. um, But one thing I don't ever want is to have to play BYU uh, again in any sport. I'm just real, real tired of those kids.
0: Yeah. I'm not, not a huge fan. So we'll move on to basketball, Texas men's basketball. We'll start with the men. We'll move on to the ladies. So the basketball team is what you would call, uh, let's say uneven, uneven feels fair. So, the week after they managed to knock off North Carolina and they lost a close one to Michigan State, two teams that will probably be going to the NCAA tournament, uh, they lost to Radford on a missed buzzer beater. They lost to VCU on a missed buzzer beater and then managed to eke one out against Purdue. Now, I know a 72-68 to 68 win doesn't seem as eeky as it may, but that was a one-possession game throughout basically the entire day. So, um they managed to hold off the uh, Purdue boilermakers in spite of a historic performance from Carson Edwards, who I think finished with forty if yep. i if I recall correctly yep uh so Kyle, what like what happened like that's just the best way to say it. what stinking happened
1: well purdue's good i mean they're they're a top twenty five team they're going to be in the in the dance I mean it was a good team um. Carson Edwards is really good, a preseason All-American, you know, a big reason that Purdue will have a guaranteed spot. He hasn't had less than 19 points this season. Um, But his performance was the, the only performance I can two performances that I can think of that even come close to that. Um, we're both from rivals. Um, when when Buddy Heald played us and, and went off um, for OU, and then when uh, when AC Law and Kevin Durant went in that I think mm. triple overtime, double overtime, whatever it was, when AC Law looked like wow, okay, so this guy's also going to the NBA. Like he just looked, you know, maybe a half shade under Kevin Durant for the best player, um, you know, in the country at that point. He was just so on fire. Um, and and that those are the the only two kind of comparisons I can give for Carson Edwards last night. Just couldn't be stopped. They, they, they zoned, they trapped, they manned, they, they doubled, they did everything they could. Um, and, and he just couldn't miss. Um, the, the good thing for, for Texas is they didn't miss. Um, again, I, I don't know that these were drastically different game plans that they ran against VCU and Ratford and Michigan state versus, you know, a three game losing streak versus what they did. It's just the shots kind of fell. Um, I think, uh, I think, you know. Purdue coach Matt Painter had a philosophy. He said, um, "You know, he was just going to make them shoot. He was going to he was going to zone. You know, kind of uh, hem down on the bigs and and make you beat it from outside. And they did. They couldn't close out and stop Texas from hitting shots. Um, I, I don't know. Again, if that's sustainable, I don't know if that's a turning point. Like they, they're they're hot and cold from there. And that's kind of streakiness is going to probably be their Achilles heel this year. They have the talent to beat." almost any team in the country this year. They have the talent to be a top 15 team in the country. They just... Don't have the consistency yet. Um, and maybe that comes. Um, but you have to give a shout out to Matt Coleman. Um, he's a guy who has gotten his fair share of, you know, this was supposed to be your year where you took a big step forward and you're supposed to be one of the best point guards in the country. And he's gotten a lot of uh, grief from the fans uh, for that. Um, but he had 22 points, hit his shots from outside. I think he was three from five, um, ran just kind of a, a tempoed offense, um, did what he needed to on the defensive end, just looked. Like a great player. Looks like a potential, you know, all Big 12 player, which is what we expected from him kind of making the leap next year. So excited to see that and where that goes next. Um, This will be interesting, too, with how they use players, what the roster rotation look like, the front court and everything. So, I I mean, what what was your biggest takeaway just zooming in on this one game? I know we've had some weirdness leading into it. If you just zoomed in on this, what was your big takeaway?
0: I mean, I think one of the things that we talked about going into the basketball season is this was supposed to be Snoop Roach's team, and they were able to win against a really good team with Snoop having a bad game. Yeah. So we've now proven that Texas can win when Snoop has a bad game. Not just did Snoop have a bad game, but really... 60% 60% of the starters played really poorly. Mm-hmm. Dylan O did not play well. Snoop did not play well. Jace Fabres did not play well. Jericho Sims did not really play well. Didn't score at all. That's not really his role, but definitely did not. So, honestly, we're just going to call it 80% of the starters played pretty poorly. Um, Matt Coleman's really the only starter that seemed to carry his weight. Um, the The... Continued, I don't want to call it emergence, but like Jackson Hayes is the real deal. Mm-hmm. Like Jackson Hayes is the real deal. Eli Mitru Long is the guy who can knock down an open shot. He missed a couple. He was basically 50% from three point, which I'll take that. I'll take that all day. Um, the, the one that was interesting for me was Kamaka Hepa, yep. but not for his offense, which is what we expected from him. Right. Because But defensively, on the defensive end of the court, he looked really, really good. Like, surprisingly good. For a guy who wasn't touted, he was touted as a big man that can shoot, uh, and he played pretty solid defensively. Came up with a couple of keyboards. That, like, that to me, the, the young guys have been the story, uh, at least of that game for me.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's 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 Kamaka time, man. This is I I like the idea of him as our our kind of stretch big who actually can efficiently shoot. I love Delano, but you know, having and he really needs needs to keep that defensive intensity that that we saw uh, going forward, and in, in, in he could really kind of be something, um, but but the ability on offense to stretch and just add that dimension, I'll give Kerwin Roach a slight pass, because he had to chase one of the best players in the country, probably the best guard in the country, hands down, um, right now, uh, all game, he had that assignment, so that's, that's tough, um, but you know, you're right, this is this is, you know, we said this. We literally said this team goes as far uh, as he takes them. So um, <laughs> I'm not complaining at all about this win. Um, you know, it's it's odd. I was looking back at the schedule and they're kind of on a Tom Herman type thing where they they're rationing out points. They're like, you know, how little can we do and still win? And that's a dangerous calculus. Um, we've seen with football, they've lost some they shouldn't have or or squeak some out. Ie Tulsa that that they you know shouldn't have been so close. But you know, a one point loss of VCU, uh, buzzer beater, Radford, like you said. Um, buzzer beater that they missed they had a a one position win against Arkansas with a buzzer beater uh 10 points over Louisiana Monroe is not enough for the talent differential there Uh, a three-point win against North Carolina so a lot of really really close games um they do kind of get a break I don't know that I can say that after after Radford um but another university that you probably haven't necessarily heard of but they play grand canyon which i'm right now googling because I, I didn't even think to google what their uh what their mascot is but that's their next game before they play you know providence who again one of my favorite mascots uh the friars but like <laughs> uh, i'm now gonna quiz you the grand canyon what
0: Miners.
1: that's not bad uh they're purple i don't know that doesn't help i don't think um They are the uh, purple antelopes, just antelopes, but their color is purple. Yeah,
0: purple is not helpful in the slightest bit.
1: But you will know their head coach. I I will say this. Their head coach was famous for you either got a version of um, uh, NBA Jam with him as the partner to Kevin Johnson or Sir Charles. (laughs) And if you (laughs) – I think I gave it away there. Thunder Dan Marley is the head coach of the Grand Canyon antelope. So that will be – there's a little little intrigue for you. So Dan Marley okay. comes to, comes to the Irwin Center on Saturday, so tune in for that one.
0: You know, the most disappointing thing about this whole discussion, Kyle, you missed on its HEPA clock.
1: Uh, you know, I, I I had a couple Titus jokes, and I just knew I wasn't going to do that. There was no way. <laughs> no way I was going there. Um, but, yeah, that's – I get it. I get it. Um, I also can't not think – Uh, Kameka Mecca and do like a, like a Goku, you know, um, uh, Kamehameha. So it's, that's where my brain just gets taken to every time.
0: (laughs) I'll I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Okay. So, uh, number 12 women's basketball is still, uh, on the mend literally and possibly emotionally. Um, so they lost a close one to Tennessee. Uh, they trailed by three with, uh, 23.4 seconds left in the game, but Tennessee closed it out. It has been just, just a tight, tight window for these women, especially due to the injury. So Kyle, what's, what, what are the future prospects like for, for, the, for the ladies as they look to kind of close out non-conference and head towards Big 12 play?
1: Well, I mean like we kind of we we talked about it a little bit last week. It, it it's tough to replace, you know, the talent they had. Um multiple injuries. I think um they have potentially um one of the three coming back. I don't know if it's Joyner Holmes, I believe. Uh is is supposed to be working back into the team. Um and, and may have already started that, but uh, the the kind of nice thing in this game was again you're playing a top ten team in Tennessee who's very very good. They played the two best SEC teams back to back, which is you know which is a challenge. But um, they they played them you know to a six point game. They basically were were within a shot at the end of the game. Um, but the the thing that was nice was you saw a freshman step up. Audrey Warren had a career high 21 points, got named the Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. So in the absence of their established stars and their leading scorer and some of these kind of roles that have to be filled, you're seeing some young uh, ladies step up and that, you know, has to bode well. Um, big Twelve plays around the corner, so that will kind of be you know you can go through and 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 you know make it all the way through with just Baylor as your as your big game and, and win all the rest and, and do well in the Big Twelve and still have a good season and, and get a good seed in the tournament. Uh, you obviously want to win all the the, the marquee games before the season, but um, they do have <laughs> an interesting schedule before uh, they head into Big Twelve. And I and I wasn't playing to quiz you on the Dan Marleys, uh, excuse me, the Antelopes of Grand Canyon, but I was. Planning to quiz you on the next three uh, opponents for the the women's basketball team. Uh, They have Stetson. Rio Grande Valley, which again, is remind you, is the uh, combination of UT Rio Grande and, UT, excuse me, UT Pan Am and UT Brownsville when they came together a few years ago. Um, so that is a UT school um, and Northwestern State. And I think Northwestern State is established. People have seen them enough in FCS football that we know they're the devils. Um, but the, uh, the, the other two, do you know the mascot of the Stetson University?
0: I, I know Stetson. Stetson is 100% the Hatters.
1: That is right. That is right. Uh, presumably have given Les Miles some kind of honorary doctorate. Um, the Stetson Hatters um, will, will be coming to uh, to Irwin Center. And then next they have uh, RGV, the Rio Grande Valley what's? Uh,
0: the RGV Vipers.
1: So it, it, my brain went there too, right? Because I think that's the NBA D League team, but the Texas Rio Grande, definitely <laughs> the Texas Rio Grande Valley women's basketball team. And I don't know, listeners, please tweet at us their if thi- not
0: women's basketball team.
1: <laughs> <laughs> listeners, tweet at us if the conjugation here is correct. But this is according to their official website. It is the Texas Rio Grande Valley Vaqueros. Okay, wouldn't have got that one in a lot of guesses.
0: Not to be confused with the Vacaros, Right, right. In
1: Texas. Exactly.
0: Okay, good to know. Good to know. Okay, so I'm I'm like 50% for the game. Yeah, not bad. Not doing too bad. Uh, these weird mascot quizzes. I don't know why they started, but uh, I love it's them. a thing now. Okay, so some football news. Uh, Texas had five players named to the AP All-Big 12 team. Uh, senior cornerback Chris Boyd, senior defensive end Charles Amenhu, a man we call Chuck, uh, Zach Shackelford and Caden Stearns were all first team selections. Gary Johnson was second team, notably absent either of Texas's wide receivers missing, or really any of the other offensive linemen, uh, because Shackelford was good, but he probably wasn't the top lineman for Texas. No offense to him. Sam Cosme had an incredible year. Uh, so let's just so Kyle, what's Of all of that, what's the most surprising about this list to you?
1: Well, I mean, like you said, this is the Big 12 team. And Big 12 coaches, you know, had to look across the board. And you have your Hakeem Butlers. You have, um, you know, obviously Texas Tech was loaded. um, Oklahoma State. Was loaded. You had receivers across the country. You had OU uh, with CD Lamb and and, and uh, Brown. But I mean, it's a loaded conference at receiver. But if there's two guys who absolutely made people just shake uh, in their in their cowboy boots, um, it had to be. And maybe they split the vote. Maybe that's the, the answer here. Um, Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson. Maybe, you know, half of the half of the folks were looking at, you know, Lil Jordan Humphrey's kind of three games that he pretty much won himself, and maybe half the people were looking at Colin Johnson doing that early in the season and then coming back in the Big Twelve. And again, they each had about three or four games that they were the baddest dude in the in the stadium, and maybe they canceled each other out. That's all I can think, that neither of them even got, you know, a second team or something on that is 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 pretty wild to me.
0: Yeah, I mean the fact that a guy who thousand yard receiver, and he did it with a guy who will end the season as a thousand yard receiver. Like that's just ridiculous to me. Um, I mean that that to me is weird. I think defensively Gary Johnson being second team is a little a little weird to me. He was one of the he was obviously the best linebacker on the team, but one of the other linebackers in the conference. I mean. Leading tackles for uh, tackles for loss from a linebacker position. You know Chuck had nine and a half, and then Gary right behind him, A fifteen and a half tackles for loss, just one behind Charles Amenahu, uh, for Texas. So, like that, he got second team honors. It's a little weird to me. We're not gonna turn into a Chris Boyd slander podcast, but <laughs> um, depending on which game you watched is which what votes you cast for him. Right? It's just it's a like Charles Menahou. I get. Conference Defensive Player of the Year, I get that. Caden Stearns, I get. Gary Johnson probably should be first team in my opinion, but whatever. Um, Some of them just seem kind of weird. I, I don't know. It's just weird.
1: Well, I mean, you have a Joe Denine. Like, it's not a defensive conference, but you do have some linebackers um, who made lots and lots of tackles. And I think yeah. that's the thing when you have a team, you know, you're playing a, a offenses that run – 60-some-odd plays a game and you have a linebacker who's scooping up 20-some-odd tackles every game, you know, those types of things when you're that vacuum for your entire defense, they funnel everything to you, you know, that's, that's the only explanation there. But I do agree, Gary Johnson, um, you know, had a, had a fantastic year and, and was um, one, of the, one of the preeminent linebackers in the Big 12, so I, I could have seen that going either way.
0: I think the only good thing to come out of the Lil' Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson slights is that hopefully this is all gas in the tank for them to come back next year. And we'll talk a little bit more about that after the bowl game. But guys that are on the team and may not come back next year, we're going to do a little redshirt list. We haven't done this because we're basically at the point where now we can determine who's going to redshirt and who's not. So there are two players that Texas – Uh, employees that will not play in the bowl game uh, and will redshirt presumably kyle porter played the first four games and hasn't played since and then john burt has now played in four games and will not be available for the georgia game if they plan on redshirting him this year some guys that have played three two or three games that will probably be rotation guys you see jamari chisholm who's been at rotation for the last two games and three out of the last five games. day um, away was a guy that they looked to get some PT early injuries and depth issues. Uh, Malcolm Epps is a guy who's gotten significantly more playing time the last few weeks. Uh, and then Moro Jomo, who is going to be a freaking problem for offenses in a year or two uh, are guys that can still play, have played and will red shirt. So I think, the big question here, Kyle, is, do you think this red shirt rule is working as intended, and really like what is what's the i guess how do you see the benefit for players and programs moving forward
1: well, I mean, it's really interesting when you look at a case study like a Kyle Porter, Kyle Porter played four games and then had to sit down with the coaches presumably there was some conversation that happened there that said, "All right, you get your red shirt year, we'll let you go." He could have contributed to this team. He could have done some third down work. He could have, um, you know, done a couple more things. But obviously, he, he thought his talents went elsewhere. And so he made that business decision and that decision for his career, and, and we talked about that on this podcast. That's kind of one prime example of this rule and kind of the the interesting parts of this rule. And then you have a guy like, you know say, a John Burt, who just was hurt and couldn't get to his four games. Um, the interesting sad about Burt is I think they said if Texas makes it to the Big 12 championship against OU again next year, they could play them seven times, which is just man, that guy really intimately understands how much OU sucks. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's nice for guys, like you said, like like uh, Ojomo, who really is, and, and, and uh, Dele, who, who both are going to be big-time contributors. They got, you know, three, two games. Um, They could potentially play in a bowl game or see some some accidentally special teams or get some rotation in. Um, Those are guys who are going to be contributors, and that's a really interesting look at what this rule, I think, was intended to be um, so that you can take these young guys, get them a little bit of work. You know, you think it might have been nice to get get one of our young freshman quarterback a snap or two, um, you know, with this rule, but again, The coaches, you know, didn't want to take the ball out of Sam's hands, and I get that. And again, we talked about the fact that they had like six points to spare. Yeah, six points to spare this season. So I get that. But, you know, it's interesting to look at these young guys. I think – that's the intention of the rule that's the, the rule obviously be applied as far as you college football play, uh, coaches have a way of taking any rule and applying it to the absolute maximum you know uh, ability that isn't illegal um, and so I understand that they're doing what they're doing but yeah there's two different kind of trains of thought on that and so for me you know we're gonna get more players who redshirt. Which gets more players, more time. It's interesting, but I, I'm, I'm interested, curious also about the downstream effects. If that means there's fewer scholarships coming up, like in in later recruiting cycles, I'm not actually sure what that impact will look like for a couple years.
0: And I think the 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 scholarship thing because you have a guy like Kyle Porter who's going to redshirt and transfer, so that's a freed up scholarship, right, right there. Because it, I mean, it's it's there, it's just sitting there unused. So he's going to transfer that makes up some room uh, you're honestly gonna have probably quite a bit of attrition in that running back room uh, after this year the captain Tiil Carter has not seen the field yet and that's okay um, but I'm I, I any rule that benefits the players I'm on board with, Uh, There are a lot of rules that skew in the direction of the the schools and universities. So any any rule that gives guys, because guys like Kyle Porter, and we've said it before on this podcast, like Kyle Porter is not going to play at the next level. That's just not what his future has. But what Kyle Porter can do is get a degree from the University of Texas, graduate in three years, transfer, and have two more years of playing time where he can kind of conclude his career as he wants and get a second degree for free. So like that to me, I'm on board with. Like any rule that benefits the players, I'm on. I I'm totally totally in agreement with.
1: Yeah, and, and and you know, benefit the players. You're absolutely right. We're both on board being that, but you know, we're also a UT Texas sports podcast. Benefit the program. It's a good sign, just to reiterate, we said this a couple times when talking about this, it's a good sign that linemen are sitting and getting to redshirt. Especially that position, you want bulk, you want more beef, you want another year to be ready for that. It's tough as an 18-year-old to play that position. Um, again, tip your hat to Cosme. But, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it- It's good. It's a good sign. You know, I I do think that that maybe Dele would have played more if he didn't have the knee injury. But pretty much everyone else on that list, besides like a Burt, were guys who they chose and made the decision. They made a business decision and a program decision and said, we have the talent on the team. We can do this. And that's a pretty fantastic feeling, too. So, you know, it it cuts both ways and, and, and it can... You know, things can be multiple things at the same time, uh, believe it or not, internet. that That is a thing that can happen. So uh, so I, I think it's great for the program as well.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned, I mean, the guys that we didn't mention, guys that won't play and haven't played all year, four of them, Christian Jones, Rafiti Grima, Junior Engelau, and Reese Moore, just happen to be four of Texas's big-time offensive line recruits. And a lot of people that read and frequent the message boards are always clamoring for offensive line recruits. So the fact that Texas can red shirt for top 300 linemen, basically it, it, it's, it's a good thing. They'll pick up a Juco guy or two and the offensive line room is finally going to have some depth that we've been praying for, for the better half of a decade. Like that, I'm, I'm completely on board with guys like Keandre Coburn, Daniel Carson on the defensive side need a year to mature because one of the reasons why the Big 12 is the offensive powerhouse that it is, is because most of the offensive linemen are freaking incredible, like incredible offensive. So giving those young guys a chance to develop, I'm all for it.
1: And I don't want to spend all day on this particular section, but one thing I don't know if we talked about, if you did, I missed it. Um, a guy who can play in this game, and I hope he at least gets some snaps, is quarterback Shane Buchel, who can redshirt, play this game, and still redshirt, um, and so it'll be very interesting to watch that saga, uh, assuming he, he redshirts and takes the option to transfer out to another program hopefully somewhere far far away from the big 12 um, the most dangerous man on campus at UT always has been qb2 he's always the best player on campus um, so you know I, I I still am not you know saying anything about the fact that I, he's not our quarterback Sam is definitely the quarterback um, but he could be a scary guy if he gets to play Texas and just wants to prove that he could have been the quarterback you know and has a bit of a chip and uh, a good offense around him he could be he could be a scary quarterback for another team
0: yeah Shane Bouchelle going uh, north of the Red River is terrifying. Yes. I'm just going to go and say that. Um, But but, uh, we put out a question on Twitter. So we're going to move on uh, and we're going to do our newest segment replies of Texas. And so we put out a question on Twitter because somebody um, in the aftermath of the Urban Meyer air quotes retiring. um, Somebody put out a list of the all Urban Meyer team at Ohio State, which great. Whatever. You're a terrible person, Urban. Uh, But that led us to thinking. It's too early for a all-Tom Herman team, and we only got two years of Charlie Strong, so it's essentially impossible to do that. So we're going back to the third coach, uh, Mac Brown, who was at the University of Texas for a very long time, uh, and we're going to take a look at the all Mac Brown team. So we've got some Twitter responses. Feel free to yell at us on the internet that we're wrong. You can, again... Tweet us at longhorn pod and use the hashtag replies of Texas. Um, So Kyle, do you want to, you want to kick us off and you can take a quarterback first and we'll, we'll have a a brief discussion. This is probably going to take like 45 minutes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is interesting, right? Because the crux of Longhorn fandom and the crux of this podcast at the times that we were in college um, really hinges on, on this question. And really, not you can love both, uh, but I think there's a two two quarterback option here. No offense to the the Apple Whites and Simses of the of the world. This is a, a two horse uh ah, race um but uh you know there there is one colt and there is one um I'm not a horse racing guy I was in Louisville but whatever the next breed that is the the, the you know the thoroughbred um Colt McCoy is my dude always will be uh, really hated seeing him go out for the year um and then this week actually in in uh, against the Eagles um but uh he is just an all-timer he was my quarterback I saw Vince you know there but I had all of Colt my whole college career. So there's a special, special thing there. Um, I, I was in Cowboys with Colt. You know, I got to play golf with Colt. Like, he is one of my favorite human beings alive. I will root for success in every avenue he takes in life. Um, he brought Dunkin' Donuts to Austin. Little known fact. Started the Austin, <laughs> Austin first Austin franchise and multiple of Dunkin' Donuts. The guy has done a lot. But you can't argue, even though, you know, most wins whatever and I'll I'll leave to you if you if you want to take the Colts side you can't argue that Vince Young did something for Texas that's indelible he did something for the the University of Texas as a program that had he not I don't know how we make it through the end of the Mac Brown tenure and kind of the down years we've had, I think because of the the wave that Vince created, the swagger, the those things. When we talk about Texas being back, we're talking about Vince Young's team. That is that is the pinnacle. I mean, the, the obviously you know greatest game of college football I've ever played, the greatest single player in that game. I mean, you can, you can have your, your Cam Newton, Herschel Walker, Vince throw a couple other in there, you know, short list of five or six, but he's in that conversation for greatest college football player of all time. So that being said, I don't know how you can do this and not have, not have Vince, but I'm ready for a hot take.
0: I, I honestly had arguments prepared for both uh, to to see where we went, just to pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, For me again, I'm, I'm, Vince Young guy I was at school I was at the game Where he came back Against Oklahoma Or against Oklahoma State In Austin uh-huh. At that game I was At a lot of Vince Young games um, Getting to, to see that in person You don't really You don't really understand How good they are Watching them on TV When you just see them In person Running circles around people there is a legitimate argument for Colt McCoy. Should have played for two national championships. Just going to say that out out loud there. 45 is still greater than 35. The math checks out. Uh, Colt McCoy probably should have won a Heisman Trophy as well. The, that is the uh, unifying bond between these two men. Is that they both were robbed of Heisman Trophies. Just putting that out there in the world. Um, so there, that that is like the hardest conversation to have. Is, is who. Now again looking at the record books. Looking at all-time statistics looking at all-time wins colt mccoy seems like the pick now granted taking it back to austin texas baby is something that i quote way too often um so just just to say that um just to say that we're unified at least on this one i'm gonna go vince simply because uh, i was i was at a lot of those games and and I got to enjoy them as a fan rather than a member of the media. So that's, that's where my head goes immediately.
1: Well, and, and, and I also kind of prepared, but you made me go first. So I had to, I had to pick, but you know, the one thing about Colt that I just want to say 20 touchdowns rushing with his feet, people forget how good of a runner he was. Um, You know, he was not a, not a four, three guy, but he was probably high four fives, low four sixes. He was a guy who could get out there. And if he had the space, he could hurt you bad. And he kind of, he wasn't, didn't derp like his, his brother case. Um, (laughs) but you know, he had kind of clunky juke moves that worked for him and they were awesome. Um, and and, you know, if you complete 77% of your passes and can also beat people with your feet, that's an unstoppable prospect. So man, tough call, but glad we're in alignment on that one.
0: Yeah. Colt McCoy, you wouldn't have pegged him as the zone read guy, but Colt McCoy absolutely murdered his own read. Let's just, Let's just be honest there. Okay, running back. Running back. This is going to be a hot one. Yeah. This is going to be a hot one. So, um, Kyle, because I'm the host, I'm going to make you go first again.
1: Oh, yikes. Um, so, all right. Well, obviously, then we do, uh, you know, biggest recruit of all time out of uh, Texas high school football. Uh, the the Steel Knights own uh, Caden Stearns' is big bro, Malcolm Brown. No, I wish it was Malcolm Brown. <laughs> Desperately wish I could say that. And when he got, he came to campus, I just assumed I would be saying that. Um, I th- So... There's a quick delineation that has to be made yeah. here.
0: Th- this is this is a point of contention.
1: Is Ricky Williams Look. a part of the Mac Brown team? Because though Mac Brown didn't recruit him, the first and biggest recruiting job maybe that Mac ever did, maybe besides Vince was getting Ricky to come back. Right?
0: Yeah. That that for me is for the sake of getting some intellectual um, diversity in this conversation, <laughs> uh, Ricky is the obvious choice. If he is a Mac Brown guy, again, he was a John Makovic recruit and came to play. Uh, but I, I ha- he doesn't feel like a, a Mac Brown guy mm. in my in my in my estimation. Now, you're not going to find a bigger Ricky Williams fan. As somebody who's a Texas fan and a Miami Dolphins fan, the things that he did (laughs) for both of those teams are immeasurable and innumerable. Um, He's part of the reason why the now two decades post-Dan Marino haven't been the worst time of my life. They've just been one of the worst times of my life. Uh, So, yeah, I'm a huge Ricky Williams fan, but based on the fact that some of his records were set before Mac Brown got there, it's it's hard to it's hard to call him a Mac Brown guy.
1: All right, so then I have an answer here, and I don't know that there's any controversy in this. To me, it's it's a lock, and it's no it, it's absolutely no shade at the other guys who you might pick, or we might have to at least talk about his honorable mentions. But for me, there was one guy who almost gets underrated in history. Like in retrospective, um, he gets. I, I think I think we forget. How unbelievable! And again, maybe if Ricky wasn't there, he's the guy that we talk about. How unbelievable he was in college. But to me, it's said it's Cedric Benson takes yep. this spot. I think Cedric Benson came in as a freshman and was absolutely electric from from the day he stepped on the camera. He was a you know uh, freshman All American, won the uh, the 2004 Doke Walker. Um, you know he he finished out that that year with you know 19 touchdowns, almost 1900 yards. Um, both top five in school history, I believe. Um, you know, he's, uh, he was in the top 10 all time rushing, um, w- when he left college, I think he was six or seventh. So, I mean, NFL career boating incidents, you, you, you add all those things that, that, you know, um, that, that happened that kind of changed the narrative, you know, the dreads, then, then they got shaved. That's a hilarious and, and famous story as well about how that happened. But, um, you cannot downplay how good cedric benson's sixty four career touchdowns fifty five hundred yards and being the anchor of you know multiple teams was and how truly you know truly um imperative he was to those teams of that era
0: yeah Cedric Benson was my pick as well, and that's going be that's going to piss some people off because we'll we'll come to our twitter responses here in just a minute uh but yeah cedric benson is is to this day number two. He's, he's behind Ricky Williams. Like, literally anything that Cedric Benson is not first in school history at, it's because of Ricky Williams. So, if you are the second best running back in school history behind Ricky Williams, you are incredible. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue. Like you said, 64 career touchdowns. He has, I believe it's two of the top 10 rushing, three of the top 10 rushing seasons of all times, excuse me. Which, controversial opinion, he has more of the top 10 rushing seasons than Ricky Williams. Just throwing that out there for, for the sake of argument. But, like, people – because he was sandwiched between Heisman Ricky Williams and fan favorite Jamal Charles, people just forget about Cedric Benson. Yeah. Now, granted, he he, had, he struggled in the league. I think part of that was because the Cleveland – not the Cleveland Browns. The Chicago Bears were so bad for so long that he just happened to fall into that trap. But Cedric Benson was freaking incredible. Like, it is – It's like it's hard to argue with how good Cedric Benson is like it's it's impossible.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Do you want to get it? I'll let you get it. I guess some of the some of the readers responses um, seem to have other opinions.
0: So, yeah. So our our readers responses, most of them were. So we had we had a couple of Ricky Williams. So if, if you throw out our caveat of Ricky is not a Mac Brown guy, that's the obvious choice. Uh so we had Timothy Burrell, our friend our friend pick Ricky Williams, which again, you and I would have picked Ricky if if we hadn't thrown that caveat in there for the sake of the conversation. Jamie Hayes also picked Ricky and Chris also picked Ricky, our friend Chris Ray. So there he also he had two running backs and Jamal Charles. So yeah like, Ricky Ricky's obviously the choice like we have to have that conversation. Like, Ricky is arguably one of the three best players to ever play at the University of Texas. Mm -hmm. Like, that's probably a a solid conversation. But for the sake of the intellectual diversity, we have to have um, somebody other than Ricky Williams. So, wide receiver is one that is also interesting. Because I made you go first these last two times, I'll, I'll go first on wide receiver and get my controversial pick out of the way. So, my controversial pick... Uh, is Tony Jeffrey? No, I'm just joking. Uh, Tony Jeffrey. <laughs> Tony Jeffrey is low key though one of my most underrated uh, Texas receivers. As a blocking receiver, you'll, you're not going to find a guy who blocked better at the University of Texas than probably Tony Jeffrey. I remember I got some tickets to sit right behind the parents, uh, the the players' parents, and Tony Jeffrey absolutely blew this guy up. It was like non-conference like sleeper and his dad got up ran around the section and sat back <laughs> down in his seat it's one of the greatest moments we've ever seen at a live sporting event but no so on topic my choice for all time wide receiver the University of Texas Lima Sweet okay on my all Mac Brown team Spicy. I've got to go with my man Lima Sweet and it's it's gonna be a controversial pick I'm aware of that but if you look at his like again, his contributions at the University of Texas, like Lima Swede did, gr- did really, really great things. Like, let's just, let's just look at his stats. So he's third all time and touchdown receptions with 20, which is really good. Uh, he is number 10 on receptions, which that to me is really interesting that he is, he is a top three guy in receptions or in touchdowns, but had a fewer number of receptions. So when he had the ball in his hands, he did incredible things with it. Uh, he's got, he where does he fall? He falls number uh, number nine on most yardage. And just the fact that he was, during Vince Young's height, Vince Young's favorite target, to me speaks volumes. I mean, I can still remember the catch in the corner at Ohio State. Yep. Like, two, I, re, I will never forget that moment. Yep. Never in my entire life will forget that moment. And so maybe just because that's etched in my memory, I have such an affinity. Maybe it's because he's like this massive receiver that was weirdly soft spoken. He to me is just is just such an interesting guy. And I, I, I just have this weird soft spot for him in my heart. You know, my,
1: my college roommate was a, uh, was a, obviously, UT, um, and from Pittsburgh. So, uh, he has the opposite experience of you, um, with loving a player through college and then <laughs> to the pro team. Um, I was hoping your spice would just be something ridiculous, you know, like, uh, uh, we like talked Tony about. Jeffrey? Yeah, Tony Jeffrey, exactly. <laughs> we talked about Cavill or, you know, any B.J. B. Johnson, someone, someone crazy. Um, you know,
0: Daniel Buckner. <laughs>
1: I have Dan Buckner's choice for off the air, of course. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I really thought you were going to bring it back home and land on one of. I could put Limus at fourth, and I'm fine with that. But I have two. I have three guys ahead of him. I have not my pick, Quan Cosby, who I thought was going to be your spicy pick, just because Quan. Kwon- if you want to talk about blockers, if you want to talk yeah. about dudes who do everything that you need for the team, a guy who you say, quan on this play, you're going to be our, our place kicker. He would go out and be an 80% place kicker because that's what you need, and he would do it. Um, you know, a guy who played baseball, he threw passes because he had that good arm. Um, you know, just... Played against another guy I'm going to talk or played with another guy I'm going to talk about who probably overshadowed him a little bit, um, but was an all-timer. And then I, I think the debate really comes down to two. And I thought, really, this is where we were going to argue is is Big Roy versus, versus you know, the love of my life, Jordan Shipley. Um, <laughs> you, you know, and and obviously you knew, you knew where I fall on that. Um, you know, yeah. Roy Williams did the incredible thing of being one of the best players in college football while, while having four quarterbacks throw to him. People forget he had Applewhite Sims and he had to do Vince Young and don't mock the chance, chance mock. Um, So, you know, he didn't really have that consistency where you talked about you know, this is Vince's favorite target he threw to him, Shipley and, and McCoy. Interesting story. I don't know if you knew their dads were roommates. No, but you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you get that relationship with a quarterback. So I thought maybe you were going to take Roy. You know, he's got the 241 all-time career uh, reception second and the record in receiving yards with thirty eight sixty six. But I think the obvious choice here, guys, there's only one. All 23 of his seasons at the University of Texas. You know, his, the contributions his brother left, his dad. The Shipleys are indelible. I, I go to bed at night and pray that there's another Shipley out there somewhere that we that we didn't, you know, know about. While, while I want Brew McCoy desperately to get our number of McCoys up, give me a Shipley, and maybe that's, you know, maybe there's a lost Shipley in Arizona with a different last name. But Jordan Shipley is the guy here. I mean... To go through what he went through with all the injuries, just like to have that much talent and not be able to do it, must have been so frustrating. But he stuck around and saved the best for last. In two thousand nine, he had one hundred and sixteen catches, fourteen eighty five, um, you know, yards, which is which is like unreal, um, and thirteen touchdowns, which I think is tied for the, the school record in a season. One sixteen is also a record. Um, and single season, and then two forty eight is is the uh, career record. So he holds most of the career stats. He was electric. You can think of his punt returning. You know that we've talked about that big one he had the Red River Rivalry in '08. Um, you you can kind of think of again like the first thing I thought of in that Big Twelve Championship when Little Jordan Humphrey ran the kickback was like wow. We have a receiver who, when an answer is needed, will give it any way that he needs, and that you know got called back sadly. But Jordan Shipley didn't, and that's what it made me think of. I mean, he set that standard of being that guy who makes a play, and obviously the Colt McCoy connection, just the the telepathic connection they had. He's a big reason that Colt McCoy, um, you know, could pass seventy seven percent completions in a season because he knew he could throw it, and and Jordan Shipley wasn't the biggest guy. I mean, I think he was probably one of the fastest, if not the fastest guy in the field, but wasn't the biggest guy could just go get it wherever you put it. So, I mean, I think for me, it has to be, and that's probably my all-time favorite Longhorn Jordan Shipley.
0: Shipley is the obvious choice, like Roy Williams, obvious choice. Quan Cosby is also partially responsible for the national championship. The uh, most pivotal pass interference call in probably college football history uh, is his pass interference against USC to extend that scoring drive. But, I had to go off the beaten path a little bit just because that lima Suite has a big chunk of real estate in my heart um, respect let's let's speed up just a little bit tight end this one's an interesting conversation as well I have David Thomas yep yeah, Is that where you're at? I,
1: I think we agree on David Thomas. Again, like you said, with, with, with Vince Young, um, you know, David Thomas played 51 games. He he was Vince Young's safety blanket. Um, He holds a lot of the tight end records. I mean, you could go with Jermichael because he was just so unbelievable, and I thought one of us might. Um, But, you know, he he put up 1,500 yards from a position that we really didn't have, you know, that much luck. I think the other one, I was curious if you might go because I know. Escape. Yeah, I know you love Bo. I, I, ha-
0: I had such an internal debate, but, like, it's hard to argue against David Thomas. Like yeah. I, it was, there was consternation to use an old person word. Absolutely, uh, about who I was going to go with. Uh, so, offensive and defensive line, I've got Casey Stuttard and Brian Arakpo as my as my two.
1: Man, uh, you went Casey stutter I was hoping you wouldn't because I freaking love Casey Studdard. After Vince Young, he was the heart and soul of that national champion team. I mean, he had a hilarious show on Longhorn Network. Anytime that guy tweets or puts something on social media, like I'm drawn in. Like he's just such a such a big character has so much life. I mean, I think um, you know you could you could go with some of the others. I think Blaylock. You know, there's there's some guys who had great careers college and NFL wise. But we're gonna agree again. I'm going Casey Sutter on the OL um, D line. You win Arakpo.
0: Yeah. I All win right. Arakpo. So
1: good. So we're gonna we're gonna disagree here. Arakpo, un freaking believable. Um, I remember Arakpo Sergio Kindle was like. All of a sudden, I became a defensive guy. Always been an offensive fan. They they made me fans of watching defense. You know, and Arakpo just so unstoppable in his time. Um, but a guy who has just uh, real estate in my heart. I love. Um, I love him because I knew him in the NFL first. I wasn't a lifelong Longhorn. I, I'll, I'll admit this. I watched. Grew up down the road from. Um, Awesome, but, but I knew him as an NFL player first, and then I went back and found out he was a Longhorn. I was like, wow, I like this guy even more. I used to get him on all my teams in, like, you know, whatever, football, 2K8 or 98 or whatever it was back in the... No, 2K8. I would always get him on my team. You know, Corey Redding is a guy mm-hmm. who... Um, you know, when you go back and look at his stats in, in the 21 sacks, 200 tackles, um, for that era of Big 12, he was the exact type of player that you need. He set the standard under what a defensive lineman should be to come under Mac Brown, 35 straight starts, like, just just was the guy that you could rely on had such a great career. And I remember we talked about it th- that moment when he got his, his ring, when he completed his degree on air and just like, you could see him welling up in his eyes. It meant so much to him to come back and get that degree at UT and have that T ring and, and, you know, finish Um, just said everything about why this guy is truly the consummate Longhorn.
0: Yeah. I, and it, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to argue and begrudge you that because he was incredible linebacker. Derek Johnson. I don't know if there's another answer. Who's for number? That.
1: Yeah, who's number two? I, 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 that's what I was thinking. I don't even know how to argue.
0: One of the achos, maybe. Okay, I don't know. sure. I, yeah, maybe. Uh, def- defensive back was probably the hardest decision that I had to make uh, because Texas is DBU. Right. Um, I went. I went Earl Thomas. Okay. Who do, who did you end up with?
1: <sighs> so my favorite defensive back is is. Uh, Aaron Ross it, it always will be And I wanted to make the case for him I mean he was just so good and he, he actually Had yeah. a fantastic career in the NFL And just had the swagger and he's going to create One of our uh, dopest recruits of all time Once his uh, Sonia Ross uh, and, and he's you know <laughs> Dynamo uh, makes it makes it to, to UT and he can't go they anywhere offered else
0: offered that kid at the ultrasound
1: <laughs> Literally but you know uh, 10 interceptions like tons of, of Pass breakups 200 tackles Could have been there but I cannot, I cannot not pick Michael Huff and, and just, just from, you know, biceps alone in, in what he's doing post-college. Um, but, you know, he was a game changer on that 05 team, um, you know, first team all American Thorpe a winner, all big 12. Um, he was, people forget it wasn't just the end of his career, he's a freshman all American in 02. Um, you know, obviously the, the recovered Reggie Bush's fumble um, started 50 out of 51 games. I mean. That consistency to be at Texas and start 50 games, like, that's incredible. You have to tip your hat at DBU. It's like a Caden Stern type situation. To come in and to be a monster and to stay that for four years and, you know, end it with the national champion like that is kind of the perfect Texas career. And even though, again, he may not have, he still had a great, great NFL career, but may not have, you know, had the, um, the the cash. I feel like he's not the name that people think of right away. For whatever reason that is, I think he he kind of set the template for the modern DBU.
0: And I. I... It's hard to argue against Huff. It's hard to argue. Aaron Ross has the most important hand warmer in school history, uh, is also a conversation to have. You've got a guy like Quandre Diggs, who I absolutely love and I think could have been in the conversation. Uh, what he lacks in height, he makes up in heart. Uh, some conversation we had on Twitter from our followers for uh, defensive back Quentin Jammer is another oh, one that we that's did a good one. have a conversation. Quentin Jammer is a huge pick there. You got uh, the Griffins, you got Aaron Ross. Um, Nate Vasher is another guy. Who I, I almost
1: get... I almost went spicy with Vasher because Vasher also people forget. I mean, he I think he has the uh, the school record for interceptions or at least interceptions returned for a touchdown. Um, yeah, and and also had punt return touchdowns. I mean, the guy created points from the defensive side.
0: Yeah. Now, yeah. So all those there there are there are no bad picks, uh, for DBU. So here's here's gonna be the spicy ones. Here's the spicy one. So special teams player, special teams player. So kicker, punter. Punt returner, kick returner. Kyle, where are you going? What's your pick? Uh
1: I, I can tell you that I had a I had a tougher time with this one than I did with Vincent Colt. This one I'm of two minds and it tore me apart and it's so unbelievably tough. The 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 saving grace of my entire sanity last year for Michael Dixon, you know, what he did it just still is not enough to top Justin Tucker and Justin Tucker's, you know, crowning achievement of giving, you know, Texas L and M forever. They will hold an L right there. Um, I'm forever grateful for him. If they're scared to play us and we'll never get another game, they can always live with Justin Tucker putting a boot straight up their butts and kicking them out of this rivalry. Um, The guy has gone on to be the most accurate kicker in NFL history. He's one of the most fascinating, well-rounded players. Again, he's one of those guys that obviously had a career, but you feel like could have been successful in a hundred different ways. Um, Just an, an impeccable, like, human and guy and well-rounded dude, and, and not to mention just an all-time Longhorn great. So it was tough, but but I, I went with Tucker.
0: So I cheated here. I'm going to be honest with you. My special teams player, I cheated because we said it was any special teams player. Right. And I needed to get Jordan Shipley on my list. Okay. And so as a punt and kick returner, okay. honestly, it's hard to argue against Jordan Shipley as one of the best kick and punt returners in school history. Because he does lead University of Texas in punt returns for a touchdown with three. Okay. And he also has one of the most important kick returns in school history to kind of turn the tide against OU to score, that touch, to score a touchdown on a kick. So – to cheat to get Jordan Shipley on my list because a list without Jordan Shipley seems preposterous. <sighs> I have him down as my special teams player. Um, you, you, Dust, uh, Dusty Mangum is a guy. Justin yeah. Tucker is a guy that you can argue for. Uh, there, there are a lot. I'm also weirdly a David Pino fan. I thought David Pino was, is an underrated kicker in the history sure. of the University of Texas. Uh, but let's see what our replies of Texas had to say. So we have um, Chris gave us the most extensive list, which shout out to Chris Ray for being, uh, he had for uh special teams kicker. He said, t- uh, Tucker or Mangum kick return, Ramont Taylor Ooh. Punter Alex King is, is a, is a good one. And then Ooh. punt return, Nathan Vasher. So Vasher we've talked about, already we didn't that's the only one that gave us a, a special team's player so I had to include them in our in our discussion
1: and in remonts if you had a, a spot for the the greatest unfulfilled potential um you know could have gone down as somewhere between Vince and Ricky Cedric on that list just so much talent but that's a great a great poll but I am shocked you picked Alex King who's a very good punter over Dixon come on have you not listened to this podcast don't you know this is a Michael Dixon propaganda What's
0: podcast? It's an all-Mac Brown team, though. Dixon does not qualify for the conversation. Oh, my
1: gosh. I'm wrong. I I apologize, I don't say this. You can ask my fiancé. It's hard for me to admit this. I was terribly wrong. As soon as I said special teams, I just immediately went Dixon. I didn't – literally on every other one, I played by the rules. And on this one, I just – I had to put him in the – wow. Mea culpa.
0: In in a decade and a half of friendship, I think this may be the third time I've heard Kyle openly (laughs) apologize. So, uh, to Chris – you are special because Kyle <laughs> very rarely ever admits. No, I love Kyle. He's incredible. Okay, so now is the time of the show where we honor one of our favorite traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, maybe it's
1: because we just played BYU in volleyball, and so that was uh, that was on my mind. Um, but... There's another Storm and Mormon who came to mind um, for this Bang the Drum. I remember being wildly embarrassed that some guy, some schmo, some whatever, nothing, guy with clunky knee braces looking like a lump out there, destroyed what were two of what I thought the best defenses, you know, in UT history, because in the moment, every team's the best team, um, and just shredded us, invented, I believe, hurtling Dylan Haynes, which became a sport for, you know, 20 or 30 other players throughout the country, um, stay hurdled, Dylan Haynes. But Taysom Hill um, <laughs> has been... In the news, he's getting a little shine because, you know, he he backs up Drew Brees. And you're like, oh, okay, if I don't watch the NFL, the Saints, I I know they're good. I've heard that. Um, He must, you know, have gotten in for an injured Drew Brees. No, no, no. Drew Brees has been fine. But Taysom Hill is the backup quarterback for the Saints. Taysom Hill also is the Chase Utley, the utility player, the kind of Mr. Everything for the Saints. So so this season... uh, um, Taysom Hill, who, who again, we, we all hate here, um, but has done all kinds of things, plays all the, all the teams that you could imagine. He has completed a pass, run for a TD, caught a pass, returned a kick, tackled on special teams, and as of this week, blocked a punt. So he quickly goes into the Darren Sproles and Jordy Nelson school of who is this garbage guy who's destroying our team? Oh, wait, I now retroactively, because of their NFL career, don't feel as terrible as I did in that moment. So thank you, Taysom Hill, for retroactively going back and making those losses hurt a little bit less.
0: It's absolutely ridiculous that Taysom Hill has done all those things in an NFL season. Uh, But now we can argue that Taysom Hill is the greatest football player that's ever lived. And that's the reason why why Texas lost those years, not because they were terrible. Uh, So my ping the drum is – so the Heisman Trophy ceremony was this past weekend – and Kyler Murray won. Screw that guy. Uh, but because the Heisman Trophy ceremony is over, now it's time to start conjecturing toward next year's Heisman Trophy because that's basically all we do. Offseason mode is engaged early. And so after not knowing he was going to be the starter until about two weeks before the season, being doubted by both hosts of this podcast, Sam Ellinger has now won been given odds to win the Heisman he's about a uh, 800 to 1 odd there but Bleacher Report actually has him as their number two on their Heisman watch right behind Tua should have won the Heisman trophy this year by Aloha um, so it's which is nuts to think about because if we rewind this back five months Kyle and I went on the air and predicted that Shane Bouchelle would be the starter we did and then the day after the podcast came out, Tom Herman said, nope, other guy, which is fine. And he proved us wrong, but it's just crazy to think that the conversation around Sam Ellinger, even even after the Maryland game was Sam Ellinger is a good quarterback that makes bad decisions and clutch moments to Sam Ellinger's an incredible quarterback that is in line for a Heisman as a junior. It's just nuts to think about.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's wild. I am not even gonna apologize for, for that one. I, I will say I was wrong about the other one, but not that one. We we were we were right. I mean we could've anyways. Um I don't know that they will allow Tua not to win two years in a row. So Sam could post, you know, a ninety three percent completion percentage, five thousand yards, two thousand more rushing, and somewhere in the realm of seventy touchdowns on an undefeated team, and this would still be Tua's Heisman next year. So I love that he's getting odds, but Come on. you can't beat Tua twice. Nick Nick won't allow that. Um, but you're right. The the fact that that's where the conversation is and has headed is mind-blowing. I mean, congrats to Sam for that. Get those receivers back and let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, that's the big thing is, is if Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey both come back, it's going to be tough for anybody to beat him. If, if one of those guys come back... He's going to be in the race all year, especially with the younger guys. you got Brendan Eagles and Woodard and all those guys that are going to fill out that roster quite nicely. Uh, so there are there are definitely tools in the shed. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Kyle Carbon. You can find uh, the Texas Pregamer. We'll be doing one more for the bowl at Texas Pregamer.
0: One more for the bowl sounds like a terrible underground hip hop album. Uh, <laughs> my name is, You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at LonghornPod. If you want to interact with us and you want to be featured in the replies of Texas section, make sure you use that hashtag replies of Texas. Uh, you can also catch me on my other podcast. Two woke nerds this week are going to be breaking down a couple of Marvel trailers. We got Avengers and Captain Marvel, and we'll probably throw some shade. At uh, some other movies because that's what we do. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, hook up. Em.